Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, the former NBA video coordinator, having spent time with the Milwaukee Bucks, Phoenix Suns, and the New York Knicks. And I'm joined alongside Bruce Bernstein, our four-time Emmy Award winner, who spent more than three decades at ESPN producing NBA shows, SportsCenter, and soaking up knowledge from the best hoop analysts in the business. And we're also joined by two-time Emmy Award winner, Michael Worldby Freer who is a senior writer at Stat Factor, specializing in writing advanced statistical NBA reports for various announcers across the league. This is episode number 91, the Dennis Rodman episode, as the worm iconically wore number 91 as a legendary member of the Chicago Bulls. Before we get into tonight's discussions, just a quick reminder, BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team, and remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. And Fellas, I feel like there's no better way to start out than talking about one of the best teams in the NBA, and that is in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics. They're on pace for 64 wins this year, Bruce. Um, Do you think they can keep this pace up, and do you see them potentially getting 65? Well, you know, they've got an eight-game winning streak. they got the best home record at 26-3. and they got the best road record at 19-9. and Their road record is better than 20 teams' home records, okay? So, yes, they're on pace for 64. Um, It's going to be tough. I mean, I think they have a chance, but because they have a bit of a cushion in the standings, I think he's going to prioritize resting guys more than shooting for, you know, anything beyond just having the best overall record. Yeah, and what's your thoughts on that, World B? I think, obviously, as we get close to the finish line here, they're going to have a comfy lead here for the number one position in the East. Uh, do you think it'd be wise for uh, Coach Missoula to go ahead and just rest his guys and not shoot for the stars as far as final record is concerned? I would think if it's a case of resting your guys, giving your guys a little bit of rest and going for some sort of record, which there really isn't any record to go for, 70 wins or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think you rest your guys. You want these – you know, playoffs are a long journey, and you want guys as healthy as possible for this. So, yeah, I think uh, getting these guys rested is is probably the best avenue to go. Hey, can I just ask a real quick technical question here? Because, and I know we're kind of going off the script. At the very beginning of this, were, were, was your video and everything okay? Because mine kind of crapped out, and I just want to make sure that you know, I don't yeah. know if we have to do it again. Your, but your yours looked okay and everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We can we can just keep going, folks. That's a behind the scenes look at how we make the sausage <laughs> here. You know, so sometimes we have to kind of fix these things on the fly, and that's you know, sorry to make you sit through that. Yeah. No. So based off that, Bruce, one of the things that I think the rest could also um, benefit the Celtics is the fact that they did. Uh, get a new guy like Xavier Tillman through the door. And obviously down the stretch, he's going to get more experience fitting into that Celtic system. I think that's something that they should prioritize just in case Kristaps Porzingis does go down with injury. 
in the playoffs, you got to have him ready to go and well oiled uh, with this uh, Celtics unit. So um, I think rest in general for the overall team would be beneficial, but also help him. And uh, one quick thing that I saw on Twitter earlier was that uh, Peyton Pritchard and Derek White recently came out to confess that the team has tried to get Blake Griffin to rejoin the team. Did you see that by chance? Yeah, I saw it on Twitter today. It looked like they were doing a podcast with Barstool or something or other. And uh, But it, it made it sound like they wanted him back, but they weren't necessarily speaking on behalf of, let's say, Brad Stevens and Joe Missoula. <laughs> Although everybody loved Blake Griffin on that team last year. So, I mean, look, if if they want a good hype man that's willing to play, you know, short minutes, but wants to maybe grab that ring before the end of his career, I mean, I think, Celtics nation would love to have Blake back, you know, in uniform. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with his veteran experience. Now uh, shifting gears here to another team in the Eastern conference, the Milwaukee bucks are looking like a different team coming out of the all-star break. And uh, we'll be, I'll start with you as our stats guru here on 48 minutes. It appears the defense is looking a lot better. Uh, can you report that's true? Yeah. I mean, under doc, they've been uh, a lot better. They were, I think 19th and, defensive efficiency when uh, before Doc took over. And since he's been there for about a month now, they're 11th in defensive efficiency and, and climbing. They, you know, they've been uh, absolutely fantastic. They've, you know, been getting better too. the last four games. They went from 121.8 points per hundred possessions against Miami down to 113 in a loss to Memphis. But then, got to be 109.2 points per 100 possessions allowed against Minnesota, which was a good, you know, one of the best teams in the league. And then on Sunday, they held uh, Philadelphia, which obviously without Embiid is another story. We'll get to him. But they barely scored a point per possession against uh, Milwaukee's defense. So, yeah, the defense has been a, a big deal, which is what we assumed would be the case when Doc took over. And you certainly see those wins. They also started out uh, out of the break in Minnesota against the best team in the Western Conference, beating the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, players have started to speak out, Giannis and Dame, specifically in regards to the Doc Rivers effect and kind of defining roles, calling guys out, making sure everyone's aware of what's expected from their job, what they need to do. And uh, Bruce, how big do you think that is? Because I feel like uh, the more and more they talk, about Doc Rivers and, and the more we uncover about what's going on behind the scenes, that seems to be the leadership that w- that they they were missing under Adrian Griffin. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah. I mean, Doc Rivers has a chip, which gives him a, a certain legitimacy that a rookie coach will never, ever have. Uh, even a rookie coach that might have multiple rings as an assistant somewhere. You know, Doc, you know, and also Doc is, is as good as he is when it comes to like ATO plays and stuff like that. He's a leader of men, okay, and 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 somebody like Damian Lillard is going to respect him uh, more so than Dame might respect an Adrian Griffin, who was a journeyman player and you know rookie coach. I think, in addition to the improved defense, uh, the other D is Damian Lillard against Minnesota. Uh, he didn't have a good shooting night, but he had ten assists, okay. And against Philly, I mean, he got them out of the gate. He, you know, he was like shot out of a cannon on Sunday against Philly, and he definitely set the tone for those guys. And again, and then, you know, when you had somebody like Bobby Portis coming off the bench and playing as well as he did against Philly, I mean, look, 
Milwaukee's going to be there. I mean, I remember when Houston won their second championship in 1995. They had a very ordinary regular season, but they knew who they were, and they knew that when the time came, you know, they were able to dial it up. And I think, you know, when you're a championship team like Milwaukee, um, they're going to be able to dial it up, and and Doc Doc will push the right buttons. By the way, that- next uh, next two games for. Milwaukee, uh, you know, back to back or home and home or whatever. Not home and home, but they but they got two against. Oh yeah, home and home against Charlotte, uh, a team that they've beaten by thirty one and thirty six points this season. So the opportunity is certainly and one of the worst offenses in the league, despite how well the Hornets have been playing lately. So if the defense is really bad, they should chalk up another two wins this week. Yeah. But but but. Six of their next eight are on the road, okay? And included in there is a four-game West Coast swing uh, March 6th through 12th at Golden State, at the Lakers, at the Clippers, at SAC. That will not be an easy four-game West Coast swing. Those are the teams you don't want to play on the West Coast. No, definitely not. But I look at that as an area opportunity for them because uh, it's going to be a good test. And Their real first test with Doc Rivers came at an unfair time, if you ask me, when he took over this team. They started that uh, week-long road trip on the West Coast, and obviously that did not go over so well, a 3-7 and record heading into break. But uh, now that they kind of got their gears in order and everyone seems to understand – you know, what their job is and, and what they need to do in order to be successful as a group. Uh, I, I think this is going to give us a, a clear picture of whether or not there's true progress in Milwaukee on that West Coast trip that you alluded to there, Bruce. Now, another team in the in the Eastern Conference that we need to check up on is World B's New York Knicks. And uh, World B, I'm just going to ask you the million-dollar question here. Will they ever be healthy again? And uh, do you see this team – uh, being healthy come playoff time? It's a legitimate question. I have, you know, you can't help but have doubts. I don't know what, you know, the future holds for Julius Randle this season. Uh, they're talking about, you hear a lot of stories. When you, when you deal with New York and you deal with New York when they're doing well, everything becomes a story. And you, you hear a lot of speculation. Julius Randle could be back this week, could be back by the you know beginning of March. Uh Mitchell Robinson was supposed to be out for the season. Now there's a chance he may come back. You don't know what's up with OG uh, and an OB yet. Uh, you hear three weeks, you hear the rest of the season. So that's life in New York, but they absolutely, they want to make a run. This whole thing was based on them getting help, having everybody there, being able to challenge in the East, at least getting up to the second spot. Without it, there's really not much of a shot. And Bruce, when you look at the New York Knicks, obviously they are uh, fueled by Jalen Brunson's play. Do you have any concern concerns about his usage down the stretch? You know, we talk a lot about the Boston Celtics deciding maybe, hey, you know, we'll rest the guys the last couple of weeks of the season. Do you see Tom Thibodeau being able to cut back some of Brunson's minutes in those final games? Or do you think that all just depends on seeding? No, he's not going to cut back on his meds because they're in a dogfight for that, you know, four through, you know, eight, which we're going to talk about, I think, a little bit later in the show. Uh, and look, I mean, with no Julius Randle and with no OG Ananobi, who's going to score points on that team? It, it's got to be Jalen Brunson. And yes, they did get some reinforcements with, you know, 
Bogdanovich, you know, who's going to come off the bench and get you buckets. Um, but, you know, Randall and Ananobi, that's like 40 points a game out of the lineup. You know, it's wow. funny. When when Ananobi played, they were 12 and 2. In the games he hasn't played, they're 5 and 6. As it turns out, Randall missed those same 11 games. So it's really Randall and Ananobi without them. The Knicks are only 5 and 6. And I look at that and I say, you know what? That's not terrible. You know, they've hung no. in there pretty well. They've, you know, they've managed to, you know, they need it. Ananobi will be back before Randall, it seems pretty clear. But, you know, we don't know exactly when. But the guy who was sort of like the afterthought in the Ananobi trade was Precious Achua. He's just been balling. I mean, he's averaging 14 and three, filling in for Randall. Okay. He's a good screener. He's an excellent rebounder. He's an active defender. And, you know, what's his role going to be when Randall comes back? Well, what, what it will mean is that they have some pretty good depth up front too. So yep. I would say I'm not too worried about the Knicks. They, you know, they just need to get healthy again. They can win a series on the road and then we'll, we'll roll the dice with those guys, but no, Jalen Brunson is going to play lots of minutes. A couple of things about uh, the Knicks here. Follow up Brunson's usage percentage usage rate, which is, you know, times you have the ball, when you have the ball, you shoot, you pass, you go to free throw line, whatever is uh, 35% over the last 10 games. That's a really high figure. And those last 10 games have been without OG and Julius Randle. I think over that stretch, it's the second highest, usage rate in the league. Uh, so he, he, it all definitely depends on him right now. And the Knicks, we talk about their offense. The Knicks have had the second worst defense this month after January, when they had this great run, we all talked about their offense. They actually had the best defense in defensive efficiency in the month of January. They've gone from the best defense to one of the worst defense now entering Monday. Now they got the uh, Pistons on Monday. So you, at home, and MSG, so you'd like to think that they would pick it up defensively, but you don't know. And that's a, that's one area that you miss having the depth where you have guys in the fourth quarter that can't hang defense. It also helps if you don't play the Celtics or just on fire like they did Saturday night. That doesn't hurt your help your defense one bit. Well, we'll be better be careful because it's going to be a revenge game for uh, Quentin Grimes and uh, Evan Fournier, who definitely has fresh legs. <laughs> of all the things to worry about with the, with the Knicks right now, Quentin Grimes and Evan Fournier are not high on the priority list. That's for sure. And well, if they are, then we can just t- call it a season in New York. Yeah. Hey, Coach Ross, what page of the scouting report are those two guys going to be on? That's the last page, the last, <laughs> the last part. But uh, n- not much to add on uh, those guys. Hopefully, uh, the the New York locker room knows their strengths and weaknesses. I don't think you need to tell them much uh, about them because anything they find their strengths first. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good moments in practice, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, speaking of worrisome, uh, we had a uh, quite the brawl between the Heat and the Pelicans uh, this past weekend, and there were some suspensions that were handed out in part of this. And before I get to the suspensions here, I just want to point out when I saw the two teams involved, if you were to ask me what teams come to mind as far as the toughest in each conference, the Pelicans are certainly high up on my list in the West. And I don't know if there's a tougher team in the East. If we're just talking toughness, I'm not talking best, toughest. So we had a head-to-head clash with two of the toughest teams in their respective conferences. Um, lots of players involved, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jovic, and Najee Marshall, both 
all were suspended one game. Thomas Bryant and Jose Alvarado were suspended three games. And uh, I thought what was the weirdest thing about this is after the game, during the post-game interviews, Zion Williamson, uh, which this all kind of stemmed from him getting fouled, he came out and gave credit to Kevin Love, stating that Love had helped him actually you know, protect him on his fall after the foul. So he had no issue with what was going on. So, uh, Bruce, I'll start with you. What what was your uh, take on everything that transpired in that one? It was just a weird thing because, you know, it looked really bad when Love followed him. But then, you know, again, when you would see the replays, you could kind of see what really happened. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. always see it in, in real time. So, yeah, I mean, look, Kevin Love, is not a physical player at this point in his career. You know, he's never really been a guy that, you know, sought out like, you know, physical confrontations. He always kind of liked standing out and shooting threes and grabbing some rebounds and, you know, calling it a night. Uh, The whole thing was weird. I mean, you expect some of that from Miami because they have a way of getting, you know, it's not like the first time Miami's gotten into a little kerfuffle with another team. It happens relatively frequently with those guys. I mean, you know, Duncan Robinson and Jalen Brown recently had a little thing going on. A lot of people say that Bam Adebayo, you know, sets moving picks every single time he sets a screen and, you know, is real cute with his body and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird. But, you know, with Miami, I mean, it's part of heat culture. Play hard, play tough, and, you know, don't give a crap. Yeah. World B, any thoughts on the, the overall brawl that we saw in that one? Yeah, well, the biggest problem, you saw the impact of the brawl on Sunday when the Pelicans didn't have a point guard. Literally didn't have a point guard. C.J. McCollum's out with an injury. Alvarado gets suspended. They don't have a point guard. They lose at home to the Bulls. Yep. I mean, it just, that just can't happen if you're a team that's trying to really contend. They're, you know, they're, they're quietly having a really good season, and they got their big three there when they're healthy. They're, they're as tough as you know match up with as any other three in the in the league almost. So you know they they just bottomed out the last couple of games. So we I want to see how they respond to this. And I don't know what they're going to do for a point guard if CJ McCollum's injury is extended. But uh, that was a real problem. You saw the impact of that on um, Sunday. We'll see how it goes. They really the last two games, the losses to Miami and Chicago, both at home. Uh, they really offense bottomed out in the second half. Uh, I think they averaged like 88 points for 100 possessions in the second half of those two games. Uh, you're not going to win anything doing that. So they have to uh, fight, figure out a way to get that back on track. And I'll be really intrigued going forward on them. Yeah. Dyson Daniels also out with injury. Maybe they should uh, take a look at uh... – uh, Gillard, who was just waived by the Memphis Grizzlies, who was playing some good ball for them. Uh, they ended up signing Jordan Goodwin uh, to a two-way deal for the rest of the year, who came over by in the, the way, Phoenix. You get waived by Memphis. What, where's, where's your career? <laughs> I, mean, I hope he gets up and in the league. But we're talking about right now, without anybody, with so many injuries, you can't cut it on the Grizzlies. Uh-oh. Yeah. Probably not the best sign, but, uh, you know, he did show some positive results there. And when you're desperate, desperate times call for des- desperate measures. Totally so. get it. Totally agree. But uh, speaking of Phoenix, much like the weather here in Phoenix, the Suns are heating up, fellas. And uh, they have been looking good here as of late, just recently coming off a big win on Sunday afternoon against the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, Bruce Royce O'Neal looks to be really 
fitting in quite well. Hey, man, he has really beefed up their perimeter defense, and he's actually shot well from downtown, too. I mean, against the Lakers, he was 6 of 10 shooting threes. Um, but the Suns, clearly, their best basketball is in front of them. I mean, with their big three, with KD, Book, and Bradley Beal, they're scoring nearly 74 points a game, you know. Their role players seem to be settling in nicely. Grayson Allen is has done a really nice job. Uh, even when they weren't going well, he was fairly uh, – and Yusuf Nurkic, man, he had 22 rebounds. I was watching that game. <laughs> After the first quarter, he had the same number of rebounds as the entire Lakers team. So he's a really nice role player. I think the – Nurkic over Aiton substitution has worked pretty well for those guys. Uh, he, of course, has to stay healthy. That's always been one of his concerns. But uh, look, they give up their share of points, and you think of them as a run-and-gun team, but they're 28th in field goal attempts. So they're playing at a relatively slower pace, mm -hmm. which bodes well for the playoffs, right? Because the pace always slows down in the postseason, and a team that's comfortable playing and not having to run, run, run will do well, especially with, like, guys who can get their own shots like they have. So Phoenix, we said last week, they are lurking. Watch they out for them. Are. Yeah. We'll be in. And when it comes to the Suns, I mean, they're a team out West, certainly that's got it rolling right now. But uh, as the season wears on, obviously Bruce mentioned Nurkic. Another guy is KD that we have to worry about health. Do you think Vogel will try to slow them down or do you think it's just too tight out West to, to really take your uh, foot off the pedal? Oh, I, I think you keep it on the pedal as long as you can uh, with this team. Uh, I'm not ready to say that they're rolling just yet, by the way. They they did right before uh, the win over the Lakers Sunday. They lost two two straight to, uh, you know, in Texas to the Mavericks and the Rockets. So, you know, let's – I want. I think they can get get on a roll here. They're only three and three in their last six. So let's see how, how it develops. But, they you know, they don't play again until uh, Thursday this week. And then they get uh, the, I believe they get the Rockets uh, after that. So you know, back to back with the Rockets, and then they get then they get uh, Oklahoma City, which is really uh, will be a good test on Sunday to see how that works out. Um, then after that, ten out fourteen after the game against uh, Oklahoma City, ten out fourteen on the road, and so let's see uh, let's see how they do there. Yeah, that's going to be a tough task, especially with Houston. They're going to be out for their revenge because they just dropped a game in Houston to the Rockets. Yeah, so, so the game at home. Yeah, the Suns are going to be looking to get a, a revenge game there. Now, uh, Bruce, you mentioned obviously the free throws from uh, Nurkic in that one as far as having as many as the team. The Lakers ended up only shooting eight free throws in total in Sunday's loss in Phoenix. And uh, there seems to have been a lot of whining going on that game. What did you notice while watching that game Sunday? They weren't getting the calls. <laughs> I mean, you know, LeBron. Was it warranted? No well, call LeBron, LeBron gets fouled all the time. And, and some of them they call and some of them they don't. I mean, that guy gets pounded on. And I remember talking to Steve Javi, the referee, you know, uh, analyst on ABC and ESPN. I was asking him about that one time, and he said he plays through so much contact that a lot of times he's followed and it doesn't really affect him, so he doesn't get the whistles. But maybe now that he's getting in the later stages of his career where he's not the bull in the china shop that he used to be, maybe now, you know, he wants those calls, whereas before he would just power through them. So, yeah. uh, you know, some of that might just be a little sign of him, you know, not as physically powerful 
as he once was, even though, my God, he's still amazing. Yeah. And we'll be by with- the way. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, I want to comment on what you were talking about with the Lakers. If they are whining about they're the last team in the league that needs to be whining about the officiating. They are top 10. They are sixth in free throw attempt uh, rate, which means how many free throws you attempt for every 100 field goal attempts. They're number six in that category offensively. Defensively, they're number one in opponent free throw attempt rate, which means they're they're the best at you know, keeping opponents off the free throw line. They average, they get about seven more free throw attempts for 100 field goal attempts than their opponent. So if any team's going to be complaining about free throws and all this stuff, it better not be the team in, in Lakerland. And uh, the beam team looks laser focused in Sacktown. Bruce, you called it on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago. This Kings team seems to be finding their groove, wouldn't you say? Well, you know, I said that I thought that they were going to ha- be a team that has a nice closing kick. So um, I would say that, uh, you know, well, Monday night they're going to play Miami at home. We'll see how that goes. I mean, they had a nice, you know, game over the weekend. Sabonis had his 20th triple-double. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they you got to watch out for those guys. You know, they have a very favorable schedule with more home games and road games by, like, six the rest of the way. And with that uh, game on Monday night against Miami, they are going to be the beneficiaries of the suspensions uh, that were handed out that we just talked about. Jimmy Butler and a lot of those other guys are not playing in this game due to that brawl against New Orleans. So another nice night at home for Sacramento to hopefully take advantage of, I guess, for lack of a better term, their schedule and the timing of this. So that could be big for them. Now will be my question for you on Sacramento is, uh, Obviously, last year they had an extremely successful season, caught a lot of people by surprise, and then ended up uh, sadly losing to the Golden State Warriors in seven games, which was a heck of a series. But do you see the team as built the way it is right now? Is this a team that can their success in the playoffs is going to be all about matchups, or do you see them being versatile enough to, to, you know, slow it down with teams that like to play slow or of course if you're running they'll run with you but do you do you think they're going to only have success as a matchup uh based team or do you think they can play with anyone out west I think at this point I can say I think they can play with anybody out west um they definitely they can play they have the guy the guy in the middle in Sabonis who's having an unbelievable season uh, who's on a double double streak, which is really unprecedented. Thirty nine. The Aaron Fox has finally got in gear in the fourth quarter, which is what we love to see. Uh, if you're you know follower of the Kings, so yeah, I think they have staying power. They can play any way you want to play. They the slowdown thing could hurt them. I I agree because they are a team that loves to move the ball around. So if the game slows down, they don't make as many passes. They don't move around as player you know the player movement. So maybe that could stifle their offense a little bit. But I, I like their chances against anybody. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned Sabonis. He has extended his double-double streak to 39 straight games. And uh, Bruce, you had Texas earlier. He is also uh, leading the league in triple-doubles, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's averaging 20 points. He's leading the league in rebounds at just over 13. 
and 8.4 assists, which is fourth in the NBA. He's like a mini Jokic. I mean, right? There's, you know, he's the closest thing to Nikola Jokic that we've that we've seen out there. Yep. What higher and, compliment yeah. is there? Yeah. And and we'll be one last note here on the Sacramento Kings is uh obviously Malik Monk has been huge uh to their success here as of late. He's been rolling pretty much all year. He's been Mr. but dependable off that bench for them really providing a spark at any given time. Is there another six man out there that you can think of that might be worthy of the six man over Malik Monk? I would have thought before, uh, during the season, before he got traded that, um, uh, quickly. Okay. At, yeah, uh, that's fair. With the Knicks now and the Raptors would be a candidate. I think he's just, uh, not only is he going to get more minutes or starting or whatever, I just, he's lost out there. So he, he's not going to really get that notice. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's Malik Monk's award to lose at this point. Is that the right way to phrase it? But yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's his to lose at this point. Yeah. Bruce, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding someone that could also beat out Malik Monk for six man of the year candidate. But uh, do you, do you have any names that popped into your head when I brought it up? Well, you know, it's funny. Al Horford has mostly been Boston's six-man this year, but he doesn't have the numbers to no, really yeah. get that award. But if you look at, you know, his value coming off the bench, um, again, you know, he's averaging like, you know, nine and seven or eight and seven coming off the bench. And, you know, but he's started a bunch of games too because when Porzingis gets a, a load management night, Al ends up starting. So, uh, you know, he has been an effective six man, but I don't see him winning it. I think the only thing he wants to win is a champion. Yeah. So, so maybe we'll mark that down tonight as uh Ross's best bets. Go ahead and take Malik Monk for NBA futures, uh, six man of the year. I don't know the odds offhand, but uh, I might have to throw a few dollars on that. Cause that's looking like a pretty safe bet. The odds will not be in your favor. I'll say that because you he think should it- be the, I, I think you won't be getting the best odds there with Malik Monk, put your money on Malik Monk because he is the favorite. You don't think it's plus 100? You think it's in the minuses? Uh, at this point, without knowing, I would say it might be in the minus. Wow. All right. I, I'm, but who else? We just talked about who else is there. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't checked it either, so I don't know. But you mentioned who else is there. Who else is there? Yeah. My preseason pick for six man of the year has not lived up to my hopes, and that's Pat Connaughton in Milwaukee. But he could be poised for a nice second half. But uh, I was expecting a much bigger contribution. Up, and it hasn't really worked out. Yeah, no, I thought he was going to have a much bigger role, especially with Grayson Allen uh, heading down to town and, and joining Phoenix. But uh, let's stay out west here and talk about some storylines out of the Bay. And, Bruce, I'll let you go ahead and uh, – Tell our listeners about this one, but there was a great story that you had shared with both World B and I that was published by The Athletic on Jonathan Kaminga and the Golden State Warriors with Steve Kerr. And uh, would you mind elaborating a little bit more on that? Yeah. Well, back in January, you know, Jonathan Kaminga, who's in his third year, uh, said he lacked confidence in head coach Steve Kerr. Uh oh. Was that a good career? Well, it turns out that it was, okay? It was a good step, according to Kerr, in the two clearing the air about J.K.'s frustrations, about not getting enough minutes. And since then, Kaminga has emerged 
as a key guy in his third season. Now, Kirk, a lot of times in the first couple of years, his meetings with Kaminga were mostly Steve talking, Kaminga listening, not really seeing, saying much. But Steve felt it was actually a really good sign that he opened up and expressed his frustration. And Kerr said, I like guys that, you know, aren't happy when they're not playing. Uh, and he's doing the kind of things that uh, he that Kerr needs him to do. I mean, look, he was drafted at, what, 18? Yep. Out of G League Ignite. Is Bruce still with us here? Will B, are, we, are you with me? We're having some technical difficulties. I usually when we're having difficulties, it's on my end, so I never know what to think on this one. So can I you can you hear him though? Uh, at the moment, no. Bruce okay, is, Bruce is away at the moment. All right. Well, uh, I'll go ahead and take over as as far as that's concerned. But obviously, uh, I think Bruce was alluding to Jonathan Kaminga, uh, of course, being a a top ten draft pick, eighteen years old, out of the G League Ignite. Obviously, had a lot to learn very quickly and. Uh, yeah, I think we I think we could both agree we'll be I mean, joining the Golden State Warriors of all teams. There's a lot of pressure to try to fit in right away with that uh, historic group. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry. And that's not an easy task. And I think a lot of that has to go along with why we're giving so much credit to Brandon Pozemski right now. I mean, he's playing incredible ball and seems to be fitting in so well that now Clay Thompson's coming in off the bench. But, uh, you know, it's not always the easiest transition, wouldn't you say? Oh, not at all. And to add on to the pressure that they face is the fact that guys like this are expected to be the future. Yep. They're not supposed to just blend in here. They're because the window for these guys is really, you know, Clay Thompson, Draymond, Steph. It's really closing. And we see it closing sometimes by the game, it seems like, although they're you are playing better. But you're looking at Brandon, you're looking at Kaminga. You were looking at Jordan Poole before he got traded as the future of mm-hmm. this franchise to lead him to that next, you know, transition. And it hadn't worked out with obviously Jordan Poole. It's starting to look like it is working out. Like Jonathan Kaminga could be that next guy to take over. And that would be fantastic for the Warriors because you know, as you mentioned, as we mentioned, the the window's closing on this franchise. Yeah, and uh, one follow-up I have on the Golden State Warriors here is obviously they're playing much better here uh, with uh, Pozemski in the starting lineup. Clay Thompson has had some strong uh, games and performances coming off that bench, but overall they're just kind of gelling as a team right now. And it got me thinking, Will be, I mean, are there any concerns about Chris Paul coming back at this point? Like, are you like it, he's going to come back at some point, and do you think like he's going to like – mess this up or do you think he'll be fine uh kind of just being the the backup point guard again i think he'll be have no problem being the backup uh point guard i think he uh they need depth you need you want to make a playoff run you need depth you need players and Mm -hmm. put his role we all knew was going to be that of the backup heading the second unit now look at the potential with Chris Paul and Clay Thompson as part of the second unit. How cool would that be? If, you know, if these yeah. guys can get it going. Uh, yeah. Along with, you know, the guys they have coming off the bench. You know, Kaminga, I don't know they how much they really expected of him. But, I mean, geez, 20 points a game 
over his last, what, 18 games? Almost 20 points a game. Oh, no, over his last 19 games, 20 points a game. And since he'd been a starter, he's shooting 52%, you know, in the last 14 since he'd been moved to the starting lineup. So he's been solid. I think if they are going to make a run, and I told you and I texted you and, and Bruce recently, I said the two teams to watch out for coming down the stretch, this was a couple weeks ago, were the Lakers and the Warriors in my eyes. Because I think the Warriors were primed for making that move. Their defense has been outstanding uh, of late. And if they're going to make the run, you need everybody. And so I, I don't think Chris Paul is going to – it's going to be any problem with him uh, coming back. Or it shouldn't, whether yeah. it is or not, who knows. But it really shouldn't. Yeah, now I get to thinking about it. I mean, if Chris Paul is playing on his game, Clay Thompson's hot from three, that might be one of the best backup uh, backups in the game. I mean, now if the you other, think about it, it, those yeah, two coming off your bench, that's pretty scary. But the other thing is, if Clay Thompson can actually start playing like Clay Thompson, maybe he goes back in the starting lineup. But it's only going to help your bench anyway because Brandon will go. Um, to the bench and then that yep. where he's been solid all season. So uh, either way, you know, Clay Thompson having success, it's a win-win for everybody. Either he gets back to being a starter and getting more minutes like he wants, or he, uh, he's still going to be a valuable guy off the bench. So I think, you know, either way they're going to be, I think they're going to be good. And you're right. With Chris Paul and Clay, yeah, that's a, that's a veteran group coming off the bench, but, you like veterans down the stretch. You like veterans in the playoffs. Yeah. What, what was the big deal? You know, when they beat the Kings last last season in the first round, you had a veteran group like the Warriors that sucked it up for that one game they needed on the road. And you remember they stunk last year on the road during the regular season. They had the veteran group. They knew what to do. The Kings hadn't been there yet, so you know they want more this season. Obviously, the Warriors do. Yeah, no, that'd be quite the luxury for uh, Steve Kerr to have off his bench come playoff time. And uh, congrats to Steve Kerr, too. He just signed a uh, contract extension with the Golden State Warriors. So uh, not like Bob Myers. It looks like uh, Steve Kerr is here to stay in Golden State. And uh, that's got to be a sigh of relief to a lot of Warriors fans. I would think so. And then they go out the night he signs his deal. They get in their own little scuffle at the end of the game against the Hornets, and you and yes. I saw that as it was happening. It was, you know, it was, it was silly. It was stupid. Um, I mean, my feeling was it was out of line for the Warriors to, you know, take that shot at the end of the game when it was. Uh, and I really, I'm, I'm a big Steve Kerr fan as a rule. I thought his attempt at defending what happened. I know he has to, but it was a little weak. You know, this yeah. whole thing. It was a whole lot about nothing. It was certainly nothing compared to what we saw in uh, New Orleans. No, no, not, <laughs> not, nothing like that. But, uh, all right, as we get to some injury news here, World B, um, obviously Joel Embiid's health status remains unseen, kind of not having a, a clear timeline when we might expect him back. But as we know, his injury status pretty much will sum up their chances this season. If you're a Philly fan right now, I know you're a Knicks fan, so it's going to be hard for you to put yourself in the shoes of a Sixers fan. But I can be do objective. your best. Do your best here. Be yeah. Are you optimistic? Or are you starting to lose hope of uh, your chances this year? If you're a Philly fan, yeah, yeah. I, I if MD's not coming back, there's no shot. I mean, he's yeah. that valuable to that team. They're just they need him in the worst. They're seven and sixteen without him this season. Uh, their defense is 
everything. Their offense goes south. Their defense goes south. It really uh, here's a big a big deal about one of the things that people don't realize or or forget about Philadelphia is with Embiid on the floor, they dominate at the free throw line because yeah. he he gets it. Nobody takes more free throws than Embiid, and he makes when them. he's at the line. Yeah, he takes them up like almost twelve a game. Yeah. So when he's on the court or when he plays. They outscore opponents by like six or seven points or something like that from the free throw. It's like number one in the league by a wide margin. When he's off, the, when he doesn't play, they get outscored by about four or five points at the free throw line, which is you know near the bottom, whatever. That's a huge difference in tight games and all this stuff. So, yeah, they need him. Uh, he's the MVP. You yeah. <laughs> want your MVP, and he, and we mentioned it before. We've mentioned it throughout. He was having an MVP season again. Was, His value that yes. it was, it was ridiculous how great he was. Um, so they just—they're not—they're a different team. It's like Denver without Jokic. They're a yeah. much different team. No question. And speaking on injury news uh, in Atlanta, Trey Young is out four weeks with finger surgery. And uh, do you think the Hawks' plan chances are dead, or do you think this actually gives them some incident? Interesting clarity for the next month with DeJounte Murray fully in control. I, I have my my take on it, but I want to get yours first. Well, some people are gonna look at what happened on Sunday when they beat up on the on the magic as uh a sign, oh, we don't need uh we don't need Trey Young at, you know as what to win or whatever. I would pump the brakes on that. The Magic are playing three games in four nights. They had just gone from Detroit all the way down to Atlanta. They had, you know, travel issues. So I wouldn't uh, – and it showed in the second half because they got beat up in the third quarter against Atlanta, and that was really the ball game. So I I would take a wait-and-see approach. I wouldn't necessarily say, see, we can win without Trey. I wouldn't go that far yet. I want to see how it is going forward. Uh, I'm not the biggest Trey Young fan. I haven't been for a long time. But the numbers are the numbers. I mean, he's, put, he's putting up, you know – we talked about he at the All-Star break. He was putting up All-Star numbers. He deserved to go in beside being an injury replacement. He deserved to be there. I'm glad he you know, ended up going. So um, I've pumped the brakes on how valuable he is to this team. I think he's a little more valuable to the team's success than people want to probably give him credit for. Yeah, I think if anything, though, this is a very good experience uh, experiment period for the Hawks. I mean, clearly, yes, they can make the play-in might be able to get to a first round, but overall they're not a championship contender. So right. at the very least this next four weeks is going to give them a nice little sample size of what life would be like if they do move on from Trey Young. What are your thoughts on that, Bruce? Well, you know, Jalen Johnson, you know, are you ready for your close-up? Okay, because here's yeah. a guy who's now going to have a chance to step up. And, I mean, he's played really well, uh, and I know he's not in the same, you know, plays the same position, but here's a chance for a young guy to take on a bigger role. And I think, uh, you know, DeJounte Murray is going to have to become more the playmaker than the the 21 point a night score or two. But yeah, I mean, look, Trey Young is the guy that you want to see when you watch yeah. the Hawks because he's yeah. just fun to watch, right? He may shoot 38%, but you know, he's going to make a logo three at some point during the game, or at least he's going to give it a shot. So yeah, they're kind of going nowhere. It's sort of a lost year for those guys. But if Jalen Johnson gets a chance to spread his wings a little bit, um, you know, 
silver lining in a dark cloud, I suppose. For sure. And I, I, I still haven't lost hope on the Atlanta Hawks with Quinn Snyder. Um, I've got a lot of respect for him as a coach. And uh, I think if they made it into a play-in spot, even as the 10th seed, I think they could certainly still be a tough out in a one or two games that they'd need to win in order to secure a first round matchup in the playoffs. But uh, hey, we're winding down the show here and I want to go back to uh, Bruce here, who is our Emmy winning producer and uh, ask you, Mr. Producer, what was your favorite TV moment of the week? Indiana glory on NBA league pass or NBA TV. The best thing I've seen the best basketball show I've seen in a really long time. And I'm not exaggerating. Larry Bird, Reggie Miller, Isaiah Thomas telling story after story, famous stories, especially hearing from Bird on playing Isaiah and the Pistons and uh, and the trash talk. And he actually said he thinks LeBron James might be the best player of all time. Okay. Which means that, you know, he's agreeing with me on that one because not too many other people have. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the thing about it that was so great, especially for me, a Celtics fan, Isaiah and Reggie are always been very accessible, talkative guys. But Larry Bird's been all more reclusive, I guess you could say. Not that he's a hermit, but you know what I'm saying. He he opens up. It's about a 48-minute show. I promise anybody who cares about basketball, about Larry Bird, whatever, you got to watch this show. It's just, it's really good. So go ahead and tune into that. And speaking of TV, 48 Minutes Live will be back on playback.tv Wednesday night for Kings at Nuggets. We talked about Sabonis. We talked about the Joker. It's going to be a matchup down low between those two. That game tips off at 9 Eastern. Hope to see you there. And uh, with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.